Chapter thirty of He Fell in Love with His Wife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellen Preckle. He Fell in Love with His Wife by Edward P. Rowe. Holcroft's Best Hope. When Holcroft came in to dinner that day, the view he had adopted was confirmed, yet Alida's manner and appearance began to trouble him. Even to his rather slow perception, she did not seem so happy as she had been. She did not meet his eye with her old, frank, friendly, and, as he had almost hoped, affectionate expression. She seemed merely feverishly anxious to do everything and have all as he wished. Instead of acting with natural ease and saying what was in her mind without premeditation, a conscious effort was visible and an apparent solicitude that he should be satisfied. The inevitable result was that he was more dissatisfied. She's doing her best for me, he growled, as he went back to his work, and it begins to look as if it might wear her out in time. Confound it! Having everything just so isn't of much account when a man's heart-hungry. I'd rather have had one of her old smiles and gone without my dinner. Well, well, how little a man understands himself or knows the future. The day I married her, I was in mortal dread lest she should care for me too much, and want to be affectionate and all that. And here I am, discontented and moping, because everything has turned out as I then wished. Don't see as I'm to blame, either. She had no business to grow so pretty. Then she looked like a ghost, but now, when the color comes into her cheeks and her blue eyes sparkle, a man would be a stupid clod if he didn't look with all his eyes and feel his heart a-thumping. That she should change so wasn't in the bargain, neither was it that she should read aloud in such sweet tones that a fellow would like to listen to the dictionary nor that she should make the house and yard look as they never did before and strangest of all open my eyes to the fact that apple trees bear flowers as well as pippins i can't even go by a wild posy in the lane without thinking she'd like it and see in it a sight more than i once could i've been taken in as old jonathan feared he muttered following out his fancy with a sort of grim humour she isn't the woman I thought I was marrying at all, and I ain't bound by my agreement. Not in my thoughts, anyhow. I'd have been in a nice scrape if I'd taken my little affidavit not to think of her, or look upon her in any other light than that of housekeeper and buttermaker. It's a scary thing, this getting married with a single eye to business. See where I am now? Hanged if I don't believe I'm in love with my wife, and like a thundering fool, I had to warn her against falling in love with me little need of that though she hasn't been taken in for i'm the same old chap she married and i'd be a mighty mean cuss if i went to her and said here i want you to do twice as much a hundredfold as much as you agreed to i'd be a fool too for she couldn't do it unless something drew her toward me just as i'm drawn toward her late in the afternoon he leaned on the handle of his corn plough and in the consciousness of solitude he said aloud Things grow clear if you think of them enough, and the Lord knows I don't think of much else any more. It isn't her good qualities which I say over to myself a hundred times a day, or her education, or anything of the kind that draws me. It's she herself. I like her. Why don't I say I love her and be honest? Well, it's a fact, and I've got to face it. Here I am, ploughing out my corn, and it looks splendid for its age. I thought if I could stay on the old place and plant and cultivate and reap, I'd be more than content, and now I don't seem to care a rap for the corn or the farm either compared with Alida. 
and I care for her just because she is Alida and no one else. But the other side of this fact has an ugly look. Suppose I'm disagreeable to her. When she married me, she felt like a woman drowning. She was ready to take hold of the first hand reached to her, without knowing much about whose hand it was. Well, she's had time to find out. She isn't drawn. Perhaps she feels toward me somewhat as I did toward Mrs. Mumpson, and she can't help herself either. Well, well, the bare thought of it makes my heart lead. What's a man to do? What can I do but live up to my agreement and not torment her any more than I can help with my company? That's the only honest course. Perhaps she'll get more used to me in time. She might get sick, and then I'd be so kind and watchful that she'd think the old fellow wasn't so bad after all. But I shan't give her the comfort of no end of self-sacrifice and trying to be pleasant and sociable. If she's foolish enough to think she's in my debt, she can't pay it that way. No, sir, I've got to make the most of it now. I'm bound to. But this business marriage will never suit me until the white arm I saw in the dairy room is around my neck, and she looks in my eyes and says, James, I guess I'm ready for a longer marriage ceremony. It was a pity that Alida could not have been amongst the hazelnut bushes near and heard him. He resumed his toil, working late and doggedly. At supper he was very attentive to Alida, but taciturn and preoccupied, and when the meal was over he lighted his pipe and strolled out into the moonlight. She longed to follow him, yet felt it to be more impossible than if she were chained to the floor. And so the days passed, Holcroft striving with the whole force of his will to appear absorbed in the farm, and she, with equal effort, to seem occupied and contented with her household and dairy duties. They did everything for each other that they could, and yet each thought that the other was acting from a sense of obligation, and so all the more sedulously veiled their actual thoughts and feelings from each other. Of course, such mistaken effort only led to a more complete misunderstanding. With people of their simplicity and habit of reticence, little of what was in their hearts appeared on the surface. Neither had time to mope, and their mutual duties were in a large measure a support and refuge. Of these they could still speak freely, for they pertained to business. Alida's devotion to her work was unfeigned, for it seemed now her only avenue of approach to her husband. She watched over the many broods of little chickens with tireless vigilance. If it were yellow gold, she could not have gathered the butter from the churn with greater greed. She kept the house immaculate, and sought to develop her cooking into a fine art. She was scrupulous in giving Jane her lessons, and trying to correct her vernacular and manners. But the presence of the child grew to be a heavier cross every day. She could not blame the girl, whose misfortune it was to lead incidentally to the change in Holcroft's manner, yet it was impossible not to associate her with the beginning of that change. Jane was making decided improvement, and had Alida been happy and at rest, this fact would have given much satisfaction, in spite of the instinctive repugnance which the girl seemed to inspire universally. Holcroft recognized this repugnance and the patient effort to disguise it and be kind. Like enough she feels in the same way toward me, he thought, and is trying a sight harder not to show it. But she seems willing enough to talk business and keep up her interest in the partnership line. Well blamed if I wouldn't rather talk business to her than love to any other woman. So it gradually came about that they had more and more to say to each other on matters relating to the farm. Holcroft showed her the receipts from the dairy, and her eyes sparkled as if he had brought jewels home to her. Then she, in turn, would expiate on the poultry interests and assure him that there were already nearly two hundred little chicks on the place. 
one afternoon during a shower she ventured to beguile him into listening to the greater part of one of the agricultural journals and with much deference made two or three suggestions about the farm which he saw were excellent she little dreamed that if she were willing to talk of turning the farm upside down and inside out he would have listened with pleasure they both began to acquire more serenity and hopefulness for even this sordid business partnership was growing strangely interesting the meals grew less and less silent and the farmer would smoke his pipe invitingly near in the evening so that she could resume their talk on bucolic subjects without much conscious effort while at the same time if she did not wish his society she could shun it without discourtesy he soon perceived that she needed some encouragement to talk even of farm matters but having received it that she showed no further reluctance he naturally began to console himself with business as unstintedly as he dared as long as i keep on this tack all seems well he muttered she don't act as if i was disagreeable to her but then how can a man tell if she thinks it her duty she'll talk and smile yet shiver at the very thought of my touching her well well time will show we seem to be getting more sociable anyhow they both recognized this fact and tried to disguise it and to relieve themselves from the appearance of making any undue advances by greater formality of address in jane's presence he had formed the habit of speaking to his wife as mrs holcroft and now he was invariably mr one evening in the latter part of june he remarked at supper i must give half a day to hoeing the garden to-morrow i've been so busy working out the corn and potatoes that it seems an age since i've been in the garden she and me began jane i mean mrs holcroft and i have been in the garden that's right jane you're coming on i think your improved talk and manners do mrs holcroft much credit i'd like to take some lessons myself then as if a little alarmed at his words he hastens to add what have you been doing in the garden you'll see when you go there replied jane her small eyes twinkling with the rudiments of fun holcroft looked at the child as if he had not seen her for some time either her hair was neatly combed braided and tied with a blue ribbon instead of a string her gown was as becoming as any dress could be to her her little brown hands were clean and they no longer managed the knife and fork in an ill-bred manner the very expression of the child's face was changing and now that it was lighted up with mirth at the little surprise awaiting him it had at least attained the negative grace of being no longer repulsive he sighed involuntarily as he turned away just see what she's doing for that child that i once thought hideous how much she might do for me if she cared as i do he rose from the table lighted his pipe and went out to the doorstep alida looked at him wistfully he stood there with me once and faced a mob of men she thought then he put his arm around me i would face almost any danger for even such a caress again the memory of that hour lent her unwonted courage and she approached him timidly and said perhaps you would like to go and look at the garden jane and i may not have done everything right why certainly i forgot about the garden but you'll have to go with me if i'm to tell you i don't mind she said leading the way the june sun was low in the west and the air had become deliciously cool and fragrant the old rose bushes were in bloom and as she passed she picked a bud and fastened it on her bosom wood thrushes orioles and the whole chorus of birds were in full song limpid rills of melody from the meadowlarks flowed from the fields and the whistling of the quails added to the harmony holcroft was in a mood of which he had never been conscious before these familiar sounds which had been unheeded so much of his life now affected him strangely creating an immeasurable sadness and longing it seemed as if perceptions which were like new senses were awakening in his mind 
the world was full of wonderful beauty before unrecognized and the woman who walked lightly and gracefully at his side was the crown of it all he himself was so old plain and unworthy in contrast his heart ached with a positive definite pain that he was not younger handsomer and better equipped to win the love of his wife as she stood in the garden wearing the rose her neat dress outlining her graceful form the level rays of the sun lighting up her face and turning her hair to gold he felt that he had never seen or imagined such a woman before she was in harmony with the june evening and a part of it while he in his working clothes his rugged sun-browned features and hair tinged with gray was a blot upon the scene she who was so lovely must be conscious of his rude clownish appearance he would have faced any man living and held his own on the simple basis of his manhood anything like scorn although veiled on alida's part would have touched his pride and steeled his will but the words and manner of this gentlewoman who tried to act as if blind to all that he was in contrast with herself to show him deference kindness and good will when perhaps she felt toward him somewhat as she did toward jane overwhelmed him with humility and grief it is the essence of deep unselfish love to depreciate itself and exalt its object there was a superiority in alida which holcroft was learning to recognize more clearly every day and he had not a trace of vanity to sustain him now he was in a mood to wrong and undervalue himself without limit she showed him how much she and jane had accomplished how neat and clean they had kept the rows of growing vegetables and how good the promise was for an indefinite number of dinners but she only added to the farmer's depression he was in no mood for onions parsnips and their vegetable kin yet thought she thinks i'm only capable of being interested in such things and i've been at much pains to give that impression she picked that rose for herself and now she's showing me how soon we may hope to have summer cabbage and squash she thus shows that she knows the difference between us and that always must be in between us i fear she is so near in our daily life yet how can i ever get any nearer as i feel now it seems impossible she had quickly observed his depressed abstracted manner but misinterpreted the causes her own face clouded and grew troubled perhaps she was revealing too much of her heart although seeking to disguise it so sedulously and he was penetrating her motives for doing so much in the garden and luring them thither now he was not showing much practical interest in beans and beets and was evidently oppressed and ill at ease i hope we've done things right she ventured turning away to hide tears of disappointment her self-sacrifice is giving out he thought bitterly she finds she can scarcely look at me as i now appear in contrast with this june evening well i don't blame her it makes me almost sick when i think of myself and i won't be brute enough to say a harsh word to her you have done it all far better than i could he said emphatically i would not have believed it if you hadn't shown me the trouble is you are trying to do too much i i think i'll take a walk in fact he had reached the limit of endurance he could not look upon her another moment as she appeared that evening and feel that she associated him chiefly with props and business and that all her grateful goodwill could not prevent his personality from being disagreeable he must carry his bitterness with her no eye could see him and as he turned his self-disgust led him to whirl away his pipe it struck a tree and fell shattered at his foot alida had never seen him do anything of the kind before and it indicated that he was passing beyond the limits of patience oh oh she sobbed i fear we are going to drift apart if he can't endure to talk to me about such things what chance have i at all i hoped that the hour the beauty of the evening and the evidence that i had been trying so hard to please him 
would make him more like what he used to be before he seemed to take a dislike. There's only one way to account for it all. He sees how I feel and doesn't like it. My very love sets him against me. My heart was overflowing tonight. How could I help it, as I remembered how he stood up for me? He was brave and kind. He meant well by me. He means well now, but he can't help his feelings. He has gone away now to think of the woman that he did love and loves still, and it angers him that I should think of taking her place. He loved her as a child and girl and woman. He told me so. He warned me and said he could not help thinking of her. If I had not learned to love him so deeply and passionately and show it in spite of myself, time would gradually have softened the past and all might have gone well. Yet how could I help it when he saved me from so much? I feel tonight, though, that I only escaped one kind of trouble to meet another, almost as bad, and which may become worse. She strolled to the farther end of the garden, that she might become calm before meeting Jane's scrutiny. Useless precaution, for the girl had been watching them both. Her motives had not been unmixed curiosity, since, having taken some part in the garden work, she had wished to witness Holcroft's pleasure and hear his praises. Since the actors in the scene so misunderstood each other, she certainly would not rightly interrupt them. She's losing her old on him, she thought. He acted just as if she was mother. When Jane saw Alida coming toward the house, she whisked from the concealing shrubbery to the kitchen again, and was stolidly washing the dishes when her mistress entered. You are slow tonight, said Alida, looking at the child keenly, but the impassive face revealed nothing. She set about helping the girl, feeling it would be a relief to keep her hands busy. Jane's efforts to comfort were always maladroit, yet the apparent situation so interested her that she yielded to her inclination to talk. Say, she began, and Alida was too dejected and weary to correct the child's vernacular, Mr. Holcroft's got something on his mind. Well, that's not strange. No, suppose not. Hate to see him look so, though. He always used to look so when Mother went for him and hung around him. At last he cleared Mother out, and just before he looked as black as he did when he passed the house while ago. You're good to me, and I'd like you to stay. If I's you, I'd leave him alone. Jane, said Alida coldly, I don't wish you ever to speak to me of such things again. And she hastily left the room. Oh, well, muttered Jane, I've got eyes in my head. If you're going to be foolish like mother and keep a-going for him, it's your lookout. I can get along with him and he with me, and I'm going to stay. Holcroft strode rapidly up the lane to the deep solitude at the edge of his woodland. Beneath him lay the farm and the home that he had married to keep, yet now, without a second's hesitation, he would part with all to call his wife wife. How little the name now satisfied him, without the sweet realities of which the word is significant. The term and relation had become a mocking mirage. He almost cursed himself that he had exulted over his increasing bank account and general prosperity, and had complacently assured himself that she was doing just what he had asked, without any sentimental nonsense. How could I expect it to turn out otherwise, he thought. From the first I made her think I hadn't a soul for anything but props and money. Now that she's getting over her trouble and away from it, she's more able to see just what I am, or at least what she naturally thinks I am but she doesn't understand me. I scarcely understand myself. I long to be a different man in every way, and not to work and live like an ox. Here are some of my crops almost ready to gather, and they never were better, yet I've no heart for the work. Seems to me it'll wear me out if I have to carry this load of trouble all the time. I thought my old burdens hard to bear. I thought I was lonely before, but it was nothing compared with living near one you love, but from whom you are cut off by something you can't see yet must feel to the bottom of your heart. 
his distraught eyes rested on the church spire fading in the twilight and the little adjoining graveyard oh bessie he groaned why did you die i was good enough for you oh that all had gone on as it was and i had never known he stopped shook his head and was silent at last he sighed i did love bessie i love and respect her memory as much as ever but somehow i never felt as i do now all was quiet and matter-of-fact in those days yet it was real and satisfying i was content to live on one day like another to the end of my days if i hadn't been so content it would be better for me now i'd have a better chance if i had read more thought more and fitted myself to be more of a companion for a woman like alida if i knew a great deal and could talk well she might forget i'm old and homely bessie was so true a friend that she would wish if she knows what i wish i thought i needed a housekeeper i find i need more than all else such a wife as alida could be one that could help me to be a man instead of a drudge a christian instead of a discontented and uneasy unbeliever at one time it seemed that she was leading me along so naturally and pleasantly that i never was so happy then all at once it came to me that she was doing it from gratitude from a sense of duty and the duty grows harder for her every day well there seems nothing for it now but to go on as we began and hope that the future will bring us more in sympathy end of chapter thirty